0: We are gonna get into the Word of God, and I'm excited about it. We are in the series, Connecting to Church. We're still in that series, and we are on part 13. And as a matter of fact, uh, we're jumping right back into the book of Ephesians. We took a little topical break last time we were together, and so now it is time to jump back into God's Word. And I have so much information to get through with you. I wanna jump right into it. I entitled today's message, do no harm. Do no harm. That Christians are life givers. We are not destroyers. As a matter of fact, every place in the world should be so thankful if a Christian is there because we are sowing in life and joy and love and peace. It should be an incredible thing to be able to have a Christian as a neighbor. I hope that you're being that type of neighbor in your own neighborhood. But I want to I draw our attention to, if you have the app, That's going to give you a fill in the blank. If you take notes, maybe you could jot some of these things down. But I want to begin with this thought that it is not about you or me. This world, this universe, everything that we're engaging with right now, we we. We operate many times out of a very self centered universe that we're always thinking about how things impact us and what the ramifications are for us, and thinking about, well, in the future, what's it going to look like for me? And we have a lot of the I, me, my attitudes, but it's not about us. We are not the center of this universe, that our God is the very center of all reality. And therefore, when we shift off of his agenda, we start getting into a little bit of trouble. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Jesus was walking with his disciples and he began to talk about the fact that he was going to be tortured and murdered. And Peter, who was kind of the loud mouth of the group, and he said, Lord, stop talking like that. That's not going to happen to you. No, we don't know why he said that. We don't know whether or not that was because he was thinking selfishly and thinking, man, I can't lose you. I don't know if he was thinking about the ministry. Lord, if you're gone, that's gonna ruin the whole ministry and everything that we built here. We actually don't know, we'd be speculating. But we do know this, Jesus stopped what he was doing and he turned around and he looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Now when you call one of your best friends, Satan, There should be an explanation for that. I don't think that's a great nickname for any of your friends. What I'm saying is it means adversary. And what he was saying is that which is in your heart right now, the fact that you have another agenda other than the Heavenly Fathers means that you are now an adversary to what God is trying to do. And I must go to the cross for a much bigger purpose. And yes, it's going to hijack your personal concerns. But it's not about you. It's actually about the will of my Father in Heaven. Man, that's got to be hard, right? Uh, In... The book of James, which is actually Jesus' brother James, who wrote that book, later after he had become a pillar in the church, he said, you want to know why we fight all the time? Because we really want stuff and we can't get it. And that causes all of our quarrels. And even when we go to God and we finally shift over and say, well, maybe God can give it to me, he doesn't give it to us because we only want it for our own selfish desires. What's my point? This is the the fill-in-the-blank on the app in front of you. Selfish hearts are the devil's playground. Selfish hearts are the devil's playground. You'll understand what I mean as we get into the passage. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 29. Ephesians 4, 25 through 29 is what we're actually going to study together, right? Right? Now, we're going to have a little bit of a piece that's going to explain kind of the setup and everything, but that's really what we're going to be focusing on today. Ephesians 4 25 through 29, give you a little bit of time to take a look at that. Turn there. If you're brand new to Christianity or brand new to the Bible, take your Bible, drop it open in the middle, and go far to the right, all right? You're going to keep turning, turning, turning. You're going to hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you're going to get into some oddly titled little baby books. It's one of those. So you're just going to try to find Ephesians, Ephesians 4 25 through 29. I'm just going to read it for our context, and then we'll talk about it. Here's the whole passage together. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. who hear. Now, we read this passage in, a, in its whole, and it's like, oh, okay, well, pastor, where are you going to go with all this? How are you going to kind of teach it and still have like a positive spin on it? Well, I don't know. I'm going to do my best, right? Really, we're just talking about the Word of God. It is what it is. But what I want to do is I want to tear it apart line by line so that we can pull out the meat of it and then apply it to our lives. And it begins with a very specific word, Therefore therefore always makes you have to go back in the Bible and look at what we had just been prior talking about. Then we can get into this because all of that information lays that foundation by which this starts to make sense. So we're going to have to go back a couple weeks ago when we had Pastor Paul Tomey, who was just recently right up here on this stage. He was preaching through the passage. So let's actually jump back in our Bibles to verse 17. And let's look at the foundation. Paul, the apostle, said this, Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, meaning the ones that don't know God yet, in the futility of their minds, for they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What in the world does that mean? Well, it actually means this very simply. It is time when we are rescued by Jesus Christ to become our new identity in him. That when he overhauled everything in the deepest place of us, in that spirit place, that now that permeates from the inside out and begins to transform the soul of us or the inside of us and that would translate out to the body of us that which interacts with the world. That we should be living our new identity because we have been made brand new. How are we going to do that? Well, practically speaking, Paul's going to lay it out for us, so let's talk about that. Here are the subjects he brings up. He's telling the church, stop lying to each other, stop hurting other people in your anger, stop stealing, and stop hurting each other with your words. Now, why would he say that? Because all Christians are perfect, right? Awkward silence. No, of course they're not perfect. Man, we were just arguing the other day. We're all saying terrible stuff online. We're all trying to get our acts together, but we're all still immature and insecure and running around doing all kinds of messed up stuff to one another. So yeah, we're still broken. We're still in process. God's still working on us. And so Paul had to get real practical and talk to his church, which translates to our church, hey guys, There's a few things we need to watch over. These particular four. And as a matter of fact, if you look over that list and you're like, are you really saying that those are all a problem at Bridgeway? First of all, I am saying yes. Second of all, I'm saying they're really, really important to God. You know, throughout my Christian life, which has been the entirety, I grew up kind of breathing God in his own air, right? Because I accepted Jesus as a child. All my life I've been told by people that wanted to create a us-versus-them attitude, I've always been told that there were certain things in the Bible that were called an abomination. In every single instance somebody mentioned that there was an abomination in the Bible, it was never something they were currently doing. In other words, it's always fun to be able to throw the abomination word as long as it's not your lifestyle you're talking about. Now, the problem with that is we're going to bring it right back home. Why? Because Proverbs six sixteen says this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Now, I want you to listen real careful because I never hear anybody quote this passage when they're talking about abomination. You ready? What are those seven? Here we go. "...proud eyes, or haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run quickly to do evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers." I could guarantee you nobody ever quotes that one, right? Why? Because that's right in our wheelhouse. That is right in the church's lifestyle and issues. God takes his stuff real seriously. So that's why Paul needs to address it. So let's get real practical. Let's go back to where we were at. Ephesians chapter four, verse 25. Remember, it begins like this. Therefore... Therefore, having put away falsehood, meaning after stopping a lying habitual pattern, let each of you Christians speak the truth with his neighbor. That is a quote from Zechariah 8.16. Why should we do that? Because we're in the same family and in the same body. We are members of one another. Now, I don't know very many habitual, blatant Christian liars. As a matter of fact, uh, in my history and ministry, I've only ran into a couple of them, some that would uh, be actually diagnosed as um, unable to tell the truth. Uh, in general, when you deal with Christianity, the subculture of the church forces you to become much more subtle in your lies, right, and in my lies. So the common, most common way I believe that we tend to lie is in the same way we share information with people and about situations. What do I mean? We're like the media, right? We bend our information that we share to suit our own agenda and then pass it on as if it's fact. Do you realize that gossip, which is rife in the church, and slander, which has really increased in recent days, Those are both lies. Do you realize that false facts are lies, perpetuating false facts? Now, I wanna talk about what this might look like, and and I'm gonna use me as an example, right? Because this is not about a us versus them. This is about a we thing, right? So here's the interesting thing. I am a massive stickler for truth. To my detriment, I, I have become the world's least romantic guy Because of just one fact, I'm really, really honest, and really, really honest is so not romantic. Let's move on and allow my my wife to shout an amen from the back. All right, I want to say that I am a stickler so much about truth that at home, my family knows I don't promise anything. So uh, when we were first together, my wife would say, um, hey, are we going to go out this Friday? Promise me. And I'm like, nope. I won't promise, because I want my word to be my bond. I will not promise something I can't follow through on. Well, my kids grew up that way too, knowing dad doesn't just promise stuff. And when it comes to this pulpit, when it comes to this place where I share the truth of God, I do so much research to make sure I will never knowingly convey error to you. Will I convey error? Oh, absolutely. Will I do it on purpose? No way. So I'm a huge stickler for the truth. And you're like, oh, that made you look really good. Yay for you. All right, hold on. So this is how I lie. Let me explain how I do lie because I have to go much more subtle. Here we go. I omit information that would bring up questions and I share facts that put my opinion in a better light. I exaggerate in both my humor I exaggerate in my encouragement, and I exaggerate in my motivation to create a bigger impact. I direct conversations away from dangerous areas that would bust me by manipulation through words, which I'm gifted to do. In other words, even though I'm a stickler for truth, I'm still a liar, Somehow, some way, I will find a way to manipulate or adjust. That is a human nature thing, which is why Paul had to address it and say we are not merely human. You can't just let whatever is natural to you happen. We have to steer it and be renewed into the image of Jesus Christ. All right, let's keep moving forward. But let me just say this, right before we get into the next verse. We should be able to trust every word that is spoken or typed or forwarded by a Christian. Let's just let that one soak in for a second. Let's go. Verse 26, here we go. How bizarre is this? Be angry and do not sin. Did you know that's actually a quote of Psalm 4 4? Be angry and do not sin. What took me off guard when I began to do the prep for this is that I memorized this verse in the NIV 84 edition and it says, In your anger, do not sin. It is a better translation that it says, be angry, pause, and do not sin. I thought that was really fascinating. Listen to what he says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what is it saying? It says, be angry. Anger's gonna happen. How do we know that? Because anger actually comes from fear and pain and in this world we're always going to have fear and pain so anger is going to happen but when it happens we are not allowed for it to travel into sin. So just like temptation you know how the bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways that we are yet without sin. Temptation isn't sin but it can lead there. Anger isn't sin but it can lead there. That's the point. He said, do not let your son go down on your anger, meaning reconcile immediately. Why? Because there are real offenses that hurt us and there are perceived offenses, things that we think we see. The longer we wait to reconcile, the longer the list of perceived offenses grows and it makes it harder to heal. Then he said this, don't give the devil an opportunity. Why does he say that? Because the devil's always going to jump in and fan the flame of anger and try to split churches, try to split marriages, and try to split friendships. That's just what he does. He has come, the Bible says, to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you got anger going on, his number one focus is to get that over into somewhere damaging. What we have to do is make sure that he is not allowed to go where he wants to go. And we submit it to the Lord very quickly. All right, so I wanna talk about anger. I wanna spend the majority of our time today on the issue of anger because to be honest with you, because we have been through a crisis situation with this COVID-19, it's been months, it's wearing on everybody's nerves and there's all the rules and regulations. And then all of a sudden we have the whole political atmosphere and that's making everybody argue with each other and get nasty and mean and, and defensive, right? And I'm only talking about my own house. All right, here's the point. It's really difficult. And when we go under pressure, That's when the anger starts to erupt. So right now we have a nation and a world full of anger and I think we need to take a little bit of time and get some tools on how are we supposed to handle this stuff. There are some personalities that are really dealing with it well and there's some that are really not. There are some that have hurts and wounds and pains and some that don't. So anger is different in everybody but I wanna talk about anger in depth. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's begin by sharing the fact that everyone believes that their version of anger is the good anger, meaning righteous anger. And they believe, and we all believe, that everyone else just has a bad attitude, but we ourselves are righteous and just because we actually know the truth, right? Isn't that how we always view it? But that is not true. As a matter of fact, we're all kind of mixed up. So let's talk about anger. Here we go. What is anger? Anger is a normal human reaction to fear or pain. If you take notes, I want you to write that down. Anger is a result of fear or pain. It is super closely linked to the fight or flight instinct in humanity. It's a way of survival. Now, if we're going to talk about where it leads to sin and we start talking about meanness or violence, those are actually acts of hostility. Those are a step beyond anger. Anger doesn't harm. There is a step beyond anger that seeks to harm. Anger itself actually seeks for the situation to go away, not to harm anyone in the process. So, in our anger, we're all right, we can't let it become something else. Everyone deals with this. So where does it come from? I'm gonna give you the four main uh, motivations or the four most common sources of anger. You might wanna jot these down if you're a note taker. Number one, fear of threat. Fear of threat. In other words, we get anxious when things start getting out of control around us, the situations getting out of hand. The more insecurity we have, the more anger we're going to have. I want you to think about it this way. I have dealt in my life with a lot of individuals that struggle with autism. And autism creates a certain dynamic where there's a lot of uh, sensitive points, whether that is stimulus from the outside, whether that is conversation, whether that is a disruption of pattern. And there's outbursts because it's getting out of hand. And people will say, use your words, but see the words fail to come especially in more severe autism. So all there is is an inward burning rage of it's not going right. And I can't stop it from getting out of control. And so there is an explosion to try to bring it back in alignment. Okay, number two, reason for anger. Hurt from a violation, hurt from a violation. What do I mean? Someone in our lives, Or something violated our boundaries and exposed us in very hurtful ways. And so our anger is our way of rising up and feeling more powerful because in our minds, we begin to crush the enemy. Number three, irritation from perceived injustice. Irritation from perceived injustice. It may be real injustice, or you may just think it's injustice, but it's unfair in your mind. What that means is, when things are unfair and you feel violated, you Hulk out, right? Remember the whole old school, I'm gonna go all the way back to Bruce Banner, going back in the 80s, that was, Lou Ferrigno was the Hulk, and I don't even remember the other dude. Moving on, okay. When we get all upset, we rise up and get bigger and angry in order to try to shut it down because we believe it's unfairly happening to us. Number four, agitation from pain. Agitation from pain. I'm talking about physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain. Our nerves are on edge and we can't handle any more negativity and we snap. It's that same idea of a wounded animal. If an animal has a broken leg and you are very sweet trying to get near it to help its leg, it will snap at you because it's saying, I don't, I don't trust you. And I hurt so bad that I can't have you touch my woundedness. That very concept makes me have to take a pause right here and just highlight something. If PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder or However, we want to end with the D on that one because it keeps changing through the years. If it is not addressed, it is a whole ball of pain. And that whole ball of pain and hurt has a dramatic effect on our body. Unresolved trauma creates an anger because we're wounded in deep places. That's why as Christians, we need to find as much healing as the Lord will allow us. It is a real issue. It's happening a lot with our first responders. It's happening a lot with our military. It's even happening with a lot of trauma survivors. So I just want to encourage you. One of the reasons the anger is coming out is because you're trying to get more control back from your woundedness. I got to tell you, when we stuff everything down, it's going to come up somewhere. Anger can be helpful to get us motivated, but more often than not, if it's unresolved, it ends up harming us. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you some practical tools. Let's go to 10 helpful tips, 10 helpful tips on dealing with anger. We're gonna go through these real fast because they're very, very practical. You can go back and take a look at them a little bit later. Write this down. Number one, find the cause Find the cause of your anger. In other words, examine your underlying emotions and the situations that are causing it. It's a secondary emotion. So ask yourself these questions. What am I afraid of or what's hurting me? That will get you down to it. Number two, learn coping skills. Learn coping skills. That's how to deal with conflict, how to repair things. It's about listening and forgiving and respecting other people, and it's avoiding yelling, threats, violence, blaming, shutting down, holding a grudge. Those are the negative side. We gotta learn some coping skills that are healthier. Number three, take it to the one who can do something about it. Take it to the one who can do something about it. Who is that? It's the Lord it's the Lord. Vengeance is the king's job. He's the one that makes that which is unfair fair. He's the one that writes the scales. So if we have an injustice, if we have a fear, he is our protector. If we have a wound, he is our healer. So no matter where you are, you must always bring it to the Lord. Number four, slow down your response time. Slow down your response time. What do I mean? When you start to get angry, Emotionally, step back and slow down and think through it. Don't react. Number five, manage your stress level properly. Manage your stress level properly. We will never get rid of all stress, but we can certainly bring them down, the levels down, to a manageable place. How are we gonna do that? That's where we need to involve humor and avoiding certain situations and physical exercise and diet and sleep and stuff like that. All right, let's go over to number six here. Number six, set healthy boundaries. Set healthy boundaries before the anger hits or as it's rising, set healthy boundaries. A lot of times there's an explosion just to set a boundary we should have set in the very first place. Number seven, know when to let it go and when to stand. Know when to let it go and when to stand. In other words, you need to have realistic expectations of yourself and realistic expectations of others. One uh, sociologist said, honestly ask yourself, is my anger truly justified? Not am I angry about it, but is it right to be angry about it, okay? Number eight, shift away from self-focus. Shift away from self-focus. Not everything is personal, and other people are never going to understand your anger because it really comes from the inside. You can't assume that they're going to understand it. We need to realize that the whole world can't be about us, so all of the violations to us, really that ends up becoming more self-centered. We gotta be thinking about a bigger picture. Number nine, learn your personal warning signs. Learn your personal warning signs. Do you realize that our bodies give us physical, mental, and behavioral warning signs before they erupt? Those are signs to show other people, like crossed arms or furrowed brows or muscles tensing. Those are actually signs of respect and love your body's trying to give other people to say, I'm about to lose it, you need to get to safety, right now. In other words, sometimes we go, man, I must be a cold-hearted person that I'm angry a lot. I would suggest to you that there's a bunch of the love in your heart trying to come out and warn people before you blow up. We just need to learn how to read those signs and begin to calm ourselves down. The last one, number 10, talk out your angry feelings. Talk out your angry feelings. Stuffing simply Doesn't work. Let me give you a story about that because I cannot think about anger without thinking of this story. About 26, 27 years ago, my wife Susie was visiting her family. Her brother had just gotten married. She was taking a nap after the wedding and there was some food cooking in the kitchen. So her mom told her, Hey, when you wake up from a nap, can you check on the chicken cooking on the stove? I had just been dating. Susie. And so it was all brand new. I wasn't down there at the time. She was at her parents' house. So she got up being a young lady and not knowing exactly how this particular type of cooking works, she went downstairs to check on the chicken. She saw that it was on the stovetop in a pot. It was a different type of pot because it was a pot that was locked. As a matter of fact, she went over and grabbed it and said, well, if I'm going to check the chicken, I have to open it. It was a pressure cooker. She opened the pressure cooker and it exploded all over her face. As a matter of fact, the chicken leapt out in the explosion onto the floor and all of the steam and all of the juices poured right onto her face and her chest and burned her entire body with extreme burns. I was dating her and I remember the hurt and the damage that had happened. Now, by God's grace, all of it was healed over time. But here's the point. The way you work with a pressure cooker is that you put a little thing on the top of it that allows the the pressure to be released in little tiny ways over a period of time. Once you realize it stopped making that little hissing sound and no more steam is coming out, then you can open it up. That is the most perfect example of our hearts that sometimes people are just going to walk up to us and they're going to open it up and assume that we're all right. Hmm. Pick it up in verse 28. We'll go right here. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There are two battles that Christians have to deal with trying to get rid of the old self and put on the new self, there is accumulated habit patterns, stuff you've learned over bad years. And then there's simply ingrained and unaddressed issues. In other words, there's some of us that came to the Lord later in life, and we had a whole long time to learn some pretty bad habits. And we're trying to shed those off. But even those of us that came to Christ as kids, there's still stuff in us that needs to be unlearned so that we might learn what God wants for us today. And then the other thing that I want to point out about this as we kind of move through it very quickly is that what it said was, stop stealing. And everyone's like, all right, got that one. And start working and start sharing. Do you share your stuff? My life has been blessed throughout all the history that I have in ministry of people being generous to me, but those people are the golden minority. Most people, when they get a brand new house that's maybe a little over their head, they'll say, we're going to use it for ministry, and that usually works while it's new, but what about just as a way of life? Are we sharing and using the things that God has given to us for his glory and sharing it with other people. Let's finish this out. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up as fits the occasion, that we may give grace to all who hear. Let me just say this. What is corrupting talk? Words are so powerful and they can either build people up or tear people down. Corrupting talk is malice, talking bad about somebody, slander, distorting other people's opinions about someone, or obscene and vulgar talk. Now, guys, real quick, this is kinda our problem. I don't really see a whole lot of this happening with women. It happens, but in a very different way. But guys, there's something about how we talk when we're by ourselves in a demeaning and degrading way, especially sexually, about women. And I gotta tell you this, I am rarely, if ever, offended by profanity. I don't even hear it, it doesn't bother me. But I'll tell you what sets off an alarm with me, is a mean spirit. Anything that is degrading towards women, I'm gonna have a sensitivity towards. So gentlemen, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks, just be thinking about that. Other harmful talk is manipulating people, wearing a mask and living a lie, or just flat out foolish talk. You're just sharing stuff. You don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, what's inside is gonna erupt through our mouths. What we say, and we're gonna give an account for every word that we say. What we say reveals who we really are. So what is encouraging and building up talk? I think you know this, but let me just share it. We should be encouraging one another. We should be kind to one another and loving. We should be hopeful and optimistic with one another. We should be affirming. We should be motivational and inspirational. We should be truthful that with our words, we can raise them up or we can tear them down. What are you gonna do with your words? I close with this thought. If we have a high view of God, then we should have a high view of his image which is inside the chest of every human being. Therefore, we should have a high view of every other person. And if you wouldn't do it to Jesus, don't do it to us. I'm going to close and just pray that there are so many of us out there. We're really good-hearted people, but our pain and our fear is really causing us to lash out, especially in this tense season. So I just wanna pray for healing in those deep areas and I'll dismiss you. All right, let's go ahead and just pray together. Heavenly Father. We are asking for your mercy and your kindness. You know what we need. There are so many of us engaging with this service right now where, Lord, we don't want to be angry people. We don't want to continually be saying mean things. Lord, our pain level is so high, it's triggering us. Would you heal us physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Holy Spirit, would you bring a calming, soothing wind through our lives that that which is we are a of, that which we think is unfair, Lord, that you would give us a mindset shift and to remember that you are the king of kings, our protector and our provider. Lord, may we be able to be healed in your midst, that we might be able to be soothed in your midst, that as we sit at your feet, just looking in your eyes, you begin to knit together together that which is broken within us. Make us new in your image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.